Hello and welcome to Daniel's Den of Hoops. I'm your host, Daniel Pasley, where we talk about the inside of the game, the culture, and everything else in between. What is going on, people? Welcome to the Stock Report. We're going to talk about who's trending up and who's trending down. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, stuff transpiring. We had a good game last night with the Clippers and the Nets. If you like defense, um, sorry, probably shouldn't have uh, tuned into that game. But, to, you know, to say the least, you know, it was a good game. I'm just going to start with the Utah Jazz. Um, this is a team, speaking of offense, they've been real potent. They've been fifth in offensive rating to start the year at 116 points per game. Playing at a slower, a slower pace, um, they're 25th, but they're able to do that with their elite defense at um, 108.2, which is good for sixth in the league. And what I've seen from this team is they're doing a good job of uh, capitalizing on a lot of switches. They're doing a great job of incorporate a lot of screen and roll, a lot of skip passes in transition, which is allowed for them to get a lot of easy buckets for um, Gobert. And also they've been potent from three, which is something that I'd like to see from this team, especially with it being Utah. You know, they it's good to see small markets try to um, manipulate some of the things that they can do to be a good team. And I think they've done a great job. They've embodied, okay, maybe we can't get a big time guy, but, you know, Donovan Mitchell is a good player. Obviously people have their opinions about Gobert, but, you know, despite the free throw shooting and sometimes um, defensively, defensively, you know, being a guy who you can't really play as much. I, I like how Utah's trending. My only concern is, or uh, there's a couple concerns. First and foremost, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, I think he's got to be way better at the rim. Um, he's got to be somewhere above uh, 60% for me in terms of where he's shooting. If, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's shooting in the mid fifties at the rim to start the season which is obviously about league average. And for a guy that athletic, I know he's a smaller guard, but he's very dynamic. And I think he's got to be able to show me that. And also, do they have more than uh, him, especially in the playoffs when things tend to shrink with uh, the floor being shrunk to, to combat you know, his abilities? He does settle from time to time. So for me, I would like to see how they maybe uh, make some moves, especially getting a small ball four. So you don't have to be playing Gobert as many minutes. Maybe you can go Derek Favors, especially because, you know, you may run into some pretty solid front court players. But for me, I like how Utah is trending and I want to see how they can address some of these holes that may come about uh, when the playoffs come. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, the one thing I think that stood out to, to me is how they get their shots. Um, you know, last week we talked about a team that was trending down in Minnesota. This team we're talking about, a team that's trending up. And the shot profile has definitely changed. Um, you know, we talked off mic um, about how they have a lot of their threes are above the break. So to come to those that don't know what we're talking about, it's like it's almost like a mini fast break or a secondary fast break. And they're kind of kicking it to the top of the three. And, they're, and that's kind of how they're initiating their offense sometimes. And a lot of their stuff is kind of opened up even more where it's very early in the clock. Um, they do a lot of empty side pick and roll um, stuff. And once you have an empty side pick and roll, um, they usually stack three shooters around the perimeter um, in order to create that spacing. And Conley's been the player that they thought they were going to get. And as long as Conley can maintain um, the pace of play that they've been playing at, that's the reason why they've been able to manufacture such easy shots at the rim for a Gobert. Um, ideally, you know, in the, the long view of this team is you're worried about how effective can Gobert be, right? Because we saw them play certain games this year where Gobert is supposed to be their best um, defender. And sometimes he's not guarding the best big 
Um, you know, not guarding Jokic at times, not guarding Embiid at times, for example, in the East, or not guarding AD, right? So, like, yeah. um, they have to, they do have a formula. They know what they are. They've improved a lot. They're first in the West. Some of that has to do with the Lakers being on such a long road trip. But they've really improved in their pace of play and how they've been able to move the ball side to side. And for anybody who didn't uh, pay attention to last week, um, they're – their use of the Spain pick and roll has been even uh, even skyrocketing even more. So everyone should check out that breakdown from last week to see how they've been using it themselves. But yeah, trending up for sure. You can't sneeze at first in the West. Yeah, for sure. And even with Mike Conley, he's been shooting 42% above the break from three. That's something that, um, like you said, I'm going to have to monitor in terms of how they trend because um, last year, if I'm not mistaken, they were the number one uh, three-point shooting team as well. And obviously – in that Denver series, once Denver finally decided, okay, we're going to actually play some defense when they went down 3-1. Uh, for me, I think they just have to, you know, figure out, do we have to move maybe a Jordan Clarkson as great as he's been? Uh, are his buckets um, something that you can maybe turn into maybe, I don't know if it's Aaron Gordon or somebody along the lines of that. Um, I don't know if you get enough defense, or but you could get some playmaking from him, uh, has shown some ability to, be a guy who can create and also defensively um another thing with them Royce O'Neal has been their number one guy but um to your point who do they have uh Joe Ingles is a guy a lot of people tend to look at him as obviously a, a solid defender but for me I, I don't think he should be your number one defensive option especially if Royce O'Neal is hurt um Bogdanovich is another guy who's got good size but again even on the offensive side as great as he is um, in terms of shooting, he doesn't really play make. So he's usually a guy you run off of pin downs or you have him as a back screener in your Spain action. So for me, I just would like to see this team maybe address that through the trading deadline, which is something that they're just going to have to do because obviously Utah is not a destination where you're going to get primetime names. Oh, yeah, for sure. You you really got to build within and, um, and hope that you hit on player development. They have with a guy like Mitchell, they hit well with the draft, but – um, once they can kind of figure out what their what their um, once they can figure out what their wing play is going to be like come playoff time, and more importantly, um, in that Denver series, I think a lot of it came down to their offense started short circuiting, and we'll see if they can kind of create some easier opportunities come playoff time. And again, relying on the jump shot is great, uh, but you need to be able to score at the basket. Unfortunately, their best players are not. At you, as we talked about, with, you talked about with Donovan Mitchell, um, not hitting at a high enough clip, and you need to be able to get those shots. And he was great in that series last year, but they needed something else and something more for sure. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, you have uh, a team to talk about with dynamic guard play. Uh, who do you have to talk about in terms of teams trending up? Um, you know, team trending up for me, uh, starting off this week has got to be the Charlotte Hornets. Um, and their ability to just, they hit on the, you know, Mike got one, it looks like. Mike finally hit in the draft, um, you know. And um, it really starts with, you know, if we look at their stats, like let's just look at these raw numbers um, really quickly. They are seventh in the East, right? And that shows me that, um, you know, nobody had them really seventh in the East. People were taught, were kind of poo-pooing that Gordon Hayward signing. And we did say, and if anybody goes back and listens, um, we did say that the Hayward pickup was going to be something that they kind of had to do because of who they are, right? You're going to have to pay a premium to get that kind of talent. 
if you're a if you're the Charlotte Hornets. Um, so in the case of of what they've been able to do is they hit on the draft pick, right? And when we did our draft breakdown, I even said, and you know, I I really think a lot of how we looked at um, Ball, uh, how we looked at Lamelo is because of Lavar, right? And I think that kind of painted the evaluation of what this kid was. And then, you know, I was listening to, I was reading an article by Marin Fader about his time in Lithuania. And this kid is a lot tougher than people want to give him credit for. And this is what I mean. Imagine if you're raised by that guy for your entire life. Uh, your brother decides to go to China and steal some stuff. And then you get pulled out of school at 15 years old and have to go to play in Lithuania in a league that looked like a complete sham, right? And never, and never keeps his amateur status and, and then has to ball out in that situation, which means this kid thrives in chaos. He understands he's, he's been a professional since he's been, since before he could drive. Right. And he could play at a, a fast pace. And unlike his brother who kind of got thrown into the spotlight, he grew up in the spotlight. So this kind of stuff doesn't really bother him as much. Right. And he was playing against grown men in Australia last year. But if we're going back to the actual numbers and the, the breakdown of the team, we and you and I can you can help me with this. I was looking at their 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 lineups and you know their best lineup was a combination of Biombo, Graham, Haywood, Rozier, and Washington. But their second best lineup at at almost I would say about a third of the minutes is actually Ball, Biombo, Bridges, Hayward, and Rozier. So it just kind of shows you um, what kind of team they've been able to build. They don't have the same kind of shooting as you would like, but the one thing the Ball brothers do better than probably a lot of guards, especially per 100 possessions, is they are going to push the pace. Yeah, for sure. And even even with Miles Bridges uh, looking at his shooting chart, he's a guy that's shooting a career-high 39%. And, yeah, you may say, okay, he's not shooting as many, but if you look at his uh, distribution of shots, he's actually at a career-high with 44% of his shots coming from three. So he's upped his volume. And I think that's somebody that's actually been pretty productive for them. He's, you know, he's a six, six guy, kind of that PJ Tucker type size in terms of a tweener, but he, he jumps out of the, the sky in terms of how high some of the lobs uh, that guy catches, you know, if you watch some of his tapes when he was at Huntington, you know, it was disrespectful. Some of the passes he was catching, but to me, I think, that small ball lineup is something that it's league pass worthy, but it's also something that I think that they can tap into because if this team, especially with some of the contracts that they have potentially coming off the books, um, Cody Zeller, if I'm not mistaken, um, Biombo's on a fairly uh, cheap deal. Um, if they can address that um, front court outside of Ro uh, not Rosier, Washington and um, Bridges, I think they got something special because, you, like you said, you have Gordon Hayward, a, a guy who can create as well. He's he's good. He's got good size. Boston is probably in some situations wishing that they had him, especially with Marcus Smart going down because they they had to give up some size. And I, I really like this team in terms of what they did. Uh, did I see uh, Lamelo being as consistent in terms of his shooting that he's shown so far? Maybe not, but to me, I think. To your point, he's figured it out. He, he he knows how to be a pro. Even when his shots off, you look at his box score. He's getting eight assists. He's getting eight boards. He's he's finding a way to make the right plays. And it may not show up on the stat sheet, but if he's going three of eleven, but he's probably creating fifteen open looks, then hey, you know you got to play that guy. 
Yeah, and 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 if you look at the numbers too, his jumper, if you just look at it, just like the physical setup, it's way more tweakable than than his brother's jump shot, which was a lot. They had to break down a lot. Um, it's way more salvageable, and he's way more confident. And some of the passes he throws, man, are just like ridiculous. Like he he has the vision um that really kills a lot of these help side defenses like you know your guy we've talked about defenses before you know like the pack line defense that mm-hmm. a lot of teams play right for those that don't know what the pack line is um you're kind of you're you're kind of um stabbing at the ball or hedging at the ball and kind of jabbing at the ball to try to discourage guys from getting to the key but it gives up the three and the idea is we're going to keep you out of the middle but the one thing um that Melo has been able to do is that the way that guy passes from all different kinds of angles with either hand on the move, stand still is going to open things up for everybody else. And, you know, and just, and bridges, man, he'll dunk on every, everybody that dunk on Boucher the other day was like, <laughs> Oh my God, man. Like um, their league pass fun to watch. They're like probably the, the, like the nerd basketball or the really into basketball league past team to watch if you don't have a team so if you want to check out a team that's just kind of fun to watch right now uh don't get caught up in the wins and losses just kind of enjoy the ride definitely check out the charlotte hornets yeah i i would say that as well that's definitely a team for me um i've actually pretty much been catching myself watching some of the games just because you know um especially when i first started playing i'm not saying he's jason kidd but he kind of shows that type of uh you know he's a six He's even taller than Jay Kidd was. Jay Kidd was almost 6'5". You know, LaMelo is about 6'7", 6'8". Got that type of dynamic to his game in terms of, like you said, able to thread some needles where it's like, damn, like that guy's seeing the, uh, the play two steps ahead. But um, to me, yeah, to uh, that, yeah. that's a lot. Well, go Let ahead. me ask you questions because we talked about maybe Utah coming back to earth. Do you think this trend continues? Do they trend up? Do they trend down? Or do they kind of coast where they are right now at the seventh spot? Um, I think to me, the biggest thing is going to be their guard play, especially like you said, uh, Devontae Graham, uh, that kind of that trio of him, Rozier and um, Ball. Do they even look at maybe ma- moving one of those guys? Because I think to your point, how often can you get away with playing three guards in the backcourt? You know, Mel- LaMelo is a guy, he's got good size, but he's been prone to um, maybe some reaches uh, getting caught, maybe in situations where he'd reach and there's maybe uh, two on one on the weak side. So I think you may have to bring in a, a maybe a big wing, maybe even a, like I said, like a kind of that tweener, another tweener that you can play in those small ball lineups where you have bridges on the floor with a, a where you're not giving up defense. Oh yeah. And, and, and the case of ball, he's, he's a rookie and he's going to reach and make mistakes. So you got to have to live with it and you could, and with the turnovers he was having earlier, um, you know, he was kind of getting benched and, you know, being told, hey, you need to start playing some defense if you want to get onto the court. Um, I don't know why you need to put your foot down that much on a team that's competing for a play-in. But at the same time, I understand as a coach, you want to establish good habits so he learns from it. And they do have a lot of guards to go to. To me, to answer, like, your question about Roger, I think he's the candidate. His contract, I think, is is pretty easy to move from. And he's a really good backup guard. So you could get something for him that you could either build towards for next year, like a draft pick, or you can just kind of wait it out. But either way, they're in good position for a team that, you know, had low expectations. And sometimes that kind of helps out with you a team would, you know, come out of nowhere uh, kind of team. Don't really had them 
people are really laughing at the Hayward signing. Uh, but again, you got to pay a premium. So uh, good. So far, I think to them, I think they're going to be probably coasting right now. I think this is where they're going to be all year in this seven to ten range because, like you said, they don't they need probably another wing at least before we could start talking to them even being firmly in to the playoffs. Yeah, and maybe to your point, uh, maybe the East will finally start to trend in a situation where teams are starting to figure out who they are and what combinations they can play. And speaking of league pass worthy, you know, Dallas Mavericks were a team. This is a team I have trending down. This is a team last year, got a lot of hype. Um, Obviously had the run in the bubble, may have maybe forced a game if they had a healthy Porzingis to a lot of people. Um, They end up losing in six. The expectation is, okay, Luca MVP candidate. If not, a lot of people had him as a favorite, but you look at where they are. They're currently 13th in the Western Conference just lost two back-breaking games to Phoenix where they just collapsed late. You look at the points per game, um, they're 23rd in points per game for a team that had the best offense according to offensive ratings, which is actually listed at 106, sorry, 109.6, which is 20th in the league. You look at opponent points per game, they're better on defense, 14th, which is mid-level defensive rating, they're 18th, but um, they're also playing at a pretty slow pace as well, playing at about a 99 uh, points per game pace. And that's a negative 2.0 net rating with all the numbers that I just spit out at you. But to get they're into, bad. yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're bad. bad yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even to your point, you know, looking at how their team is, you know, a lot of what they did is and what they do is predicated on a lot of driving kicks. Uh, especially with teams, like you said, packing the line, jabbing at guys, Luca being able to throw a pass or, or maybe even create with his driving attack and getting downhill. But then you look at his uh, chart, he's shooting about 53% of, uh, percent of his shots at, uh, sorry, with seven dribbles or more. And to put that into perspective, last year he was about 42% in possessions um, where he, he took a shot where it was 42% of the time. So, yeah, that, that just shows you that he's maybe pounding the ball a little bit too much and settling because you look at a lot of what their team is. KP has been in and out of the lineup. They did have a little uh, belt with COVID where they had a, a lot of guys, you know, Dwight Powell, um, Richardson, um, Finney Smith. So pretty key guys in terms of what they're able to do or what they want to do. And then you go and look at that, you see James Johnson's playing a lot more minutes, and he's been pretty good for them. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, James Johnson, not a good player, but to me, when you're playing a guy like James Johnson, that kind of says a lot about not even just playing him, the way they're using him in terms of how often, and he's being dependent on to do a lot of things in that offense. And to, to me, he's got to be a guy like what he was in Miami when he was in shape, be kind of a utility player, but Man, Luca 29% from three. Porzingis is, does, hasn't really shown me much in terms of his mid-block uh, play. He, he, he seems to get pushed off his spots a lot, uh, something that – and he's not as potent of a roller as Christian Wood. You look at his shooting, he's a career about 44% uh, field, field goal percentage. So that shows you, you know, a guy that tall, he's got to be way more impactful. And Maxi Kleba, another guy in that system who's actually been great for them. But to me, I think – I don't want to say – Dallas is, you know, garbage, but I, I do think they're in trouble if, if from what I've seen. Um, the I'm going to agree with everything you said. The only thing I'm going to add um, to might to, to push back 
is a couple of things. One, like you talked about, their COVID and their injuries were like insane. And the the last Phoenix game that they had was probably the first time they actually had their what you would call their actual starting lineup in the game, right? Like their actual, this is what we expect to trot out for a full, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 72 game season. So I think that has to do with some of it. Now, the one thing I will say that is is troubling for me is not even just Luca's seven dribbles, which to me indicates that a lot of possessions are coming down to him having to create and kind of going James Harden, which means if you're dribbling the ball that much, that means nobody else is doing anything, right? There's probably no movement. Everything's starting to slow down. And as a guy like Carlisle, that's usually his offenses are not. And I think that's part of the reason why they're struggling in the crunch time, right? Because it's harder and harder to score baskets and they have one guy that you can key in on and one guy in, in, and he's got to be better. Like I'm not body language police guy, but you know, if you watch a lot of their games, he's constantly yelling at the refs. You can tell he's incredibly frustrated. There's a lot of habits that if he, you know, if he wasn't Luka Doncic, would he be getting killed for? Right. And, you know, and, and let's call it, a spade a spade if he was a different guy if his if he was Luke Jackson Batir instead of Luca <laughs> Luca Doncic I think we'd be talking about him a lot different um in terms of how he's been acting and kind of handling this role as being the guy with on a team where he had MVP expectations where you know we had him in our top five going into the into this thing and a lot of people had him even higher a lot of people had him as the favorite um so they're definitely, I still think they write the ship. I don't think they're this bad. And I think for them, I would say they're, they're going to trend up eventually, but I would give this team until the break before I would give me a, a, a firm population. I need more sample from a team that's actually complete. Yeah, as well said. And I think to your point, I think people had this team way too high, you know, speaking of uh, MVP uh, stuff, People obviously were saying, no, it's unanimous. Luca, the talking to people, it's like, no, the storylines are set up, the narratives, blah, blah, blah. But to me, I saw a lot of holes in terms of how they got things done. And if they're not going to shoot the ball in the, at an elite clip, which is something which is shown in terms of how their personnel is and how their offense is. A lot of guys, a lot of guys are predicated on what Luca, like you said, he's going to have to create. But if I'm able to switch a lot of screens, and I think I heard this on the Dunker Spot podcast with uh, Nikias Duncan, where he talked about um, a lot of times where I can just switch screens and I have to, I, all I have to do is stab at the ball and even listen to the ringer. You know, you're seeing it. A lot of people are seeing it where you can switch a lot of screens and, okay, Perzingis, okay, Kleba, um, you know, we can push Perzingis off this spot because, you know, he hasn't looked right and, um, if I'm not mistaken, his last full season in New York was probably his best year in terms of that mid post area. But a lot of what New York was doing was predicated around that. So that may be based on the type of shots he was getting. But to me, I think they got to maybe look internally and say, OK, how can we combat this? Because they may not be a top five team in the West, but man, you can't be constantly, like you said, uh, having Luca. Con, you know, constantly having, having to create something. And they're not Houston, what, what Houston was with uh, James Harden. They're not defending at a decent enough uh, level. And uh, and to your point, you know, he's not shooting at an elite enough clip for me to say, you know, we got to zone in on his shooting. 
Yeah, and, and in the case of KP, especially, um, I want to make it a Luca fest. I think with him, it, it's it's kind of like I don't want to make the comparison because then people are going to be like, "What are you doing here?" But the one thing you could do to early Kevin Durant that you can't do now is get into his body, into his space, right, and get into his legs. And that was the only chance you had against her, K, uh, against KD. In the case of KP, you still have a chance regardless. But KP does not give himself a chance in the post. And Carlisle is actually one of the guys who really hates post-ups. Like, he hates them. Um, so you're not going to see a ton of those high posts. The only guy he ever ran post-ups for was Dirk Nowitzki, which, you know, makes sense, right? And, and that was a crunch time killer, right? He was kind of like in the mode of a Jokic type where it's, or, where it's like, I can – doesn't matter. He's one of the few big men where it doesn't matter who's on the floor. He can still get a shot down the stretch and still hit tough shots. KP, it's still too easy to get into his body, get into his space, throw a couple throw smaller defenders at him. And a lot of guys are, and, and then a lot of teams are just basically saying like, you know, we only, we know where the ball is going to go. We know what you're going to do. And anytime you're predictable, but more importantly, solvable as a team, like if you, the problems you present to us are things we can counter with an easy stab or, or sending a late double, you're going to have trouble. So yeah, definitely trending down right now. But like I said, let's see until they actually have a roster together. But if they're not together by the all-star break, they got to make a trade or this is going to be, they're going to be fighting to get into the plan, which would be remarkable. Yeah. Especially with the loaded Western conferences, uh, you know, people, like to say obviously the western conference has been loaded um and it's it's shown like you said phoenix has been playing at a pretty elite clip and some teams that we had maybe in their tier are, are obviously surpassing expectations and they seem to have figured out this whole covid thing which it may come down to to your point but speaking of a team that has figured it out at least you know to the knicks fans you know being i don't want to i got some people in, in, in NYC. So I'm not going to, you know, be too hostile. Uh, shout out my guy, BZ. But um, the New York Knicks has been exceeding expectations. Obviously, 11th in Eastern Conference isn't something to celebrate, but with how things have unfolded um, and what we've seen from the Knicks, they've actually shown some signs of, okay, maybe there's some progress here. And yeah, they've had their highs, they had their lows. As you look at their points per game, they're dead last in points. Offense rating 25th at 107. Uh, opponent per points per game, they're actually second currently at 104.2. And their defensive rating as a whole um, is eighth, good for 109.2. So a net rating of negative 2.1. So, yeah, they're they're obviously uh, below 500 based on some of the stats I've said. But to me, I think the biggest thing has been with R.J. Barrett, man. If this guy – and all a lot of people were, you know, telling me, oh, man, something's wrong with him. The jumper's not there. But what I like about him is he he seems to be a guy that works and works and works on his game. And I've talked about this. Um, and he's 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 balled out last 10 games, um, 40% from three, 47 from the floor, 82 from the line, which I love to see. I like to see him get to the line. I think that's where he's going to learn how to get his rhythm. And he's got a real smooth pull-up. That's something that he seems more comfortable with. And, a lot, and like you said, we need to focus – on that three level type of yeah get your at the rim level um high in terms of how elite of a finisher you can be and then you can move back i think we tend to say okay we got to go rim and then three but to me 
that mid-range pull-up, if he can get that down, that can help set up a lot of stuff when teams go into drop coverage, allow for him to get to his pull-up, allow for him to, you know, learn out how to balance his game. And, and that's something I like. Julius Randle, another guy who's been an, an all-star, um, <laughs> at least I would say from what I've seen. And Emmanuel quickly has also been a guy who – a lot of people are looking at him and saying, you know, this guy's a steal in the draft. And I thought when they picked him, I was pretty shocked. I thought he would be a pretty solid uh, guard on any team. But, you know, I had to give out my shout out to RJ, you know, Miss Saga kid. Uh, saw him play, obviously, growing up and heard all the buzz. But um, to me, I think New York has something good going on. Uh, whether they're a playoff team in the East, I don't know. Maybe they're fighting for that play-in, that back half of that play-in. But if they can figure out their rotations and not play guys like Taj Gibson in key stretches, which you and I talked about off the air and let guys like Obi Toppin make mistakes, they could actually play themselves into a decent spot. Yeah. And I don't even, and to think about this team, I don't even think even trending in the right direction this year is what matters. I think in the terms of like where they seed, like, I think they just need – their organization just needs to trend in the right direction, period, right? And they finally hit on a pick of a guy like Quigley who, whose floater game is ridiculous. Like anybody who watches that guy in the pick and roll, and you watch that Clipper game, he daps up Lou and says, yo, you're, you're like my favorite player to watch. And you could just see it because it's like literally like he snakes around that pick and roll and he gets to that floater no matter what's happening. And if you watch that game, you know, late, they had to switch Kawhi on him, right? And that's like the ultimate respect where you all of a sudden it's like, all right, we got to put the claw on you to kind of slow down your offense. Um, and he's just been amazing, just so impressive. There, there are some times where you could tell he he's still a rookie. Um, he doesn't – the he's a way better finisher than, let's say, like a, um, like a guy we talked about earlier in, like, LaMelo. But LaMelo is really good at making that read off the pick and roll and quickly – sometimes misses those uh, lob plays. If you watch Mitchell Robinson, sometimes he's just kind of like, yo, just throw the lob. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, just get me the dunk. Like, so, and that will come with time because that's a feel thing. But to your point, um, what RJ playing as well, he has been, um, the way he's kind of diversified his game, the way he's seemed to figure out an actual consistent stroke from, from either part, spots of the floor and understanding what kind of shots he's going to take in them. Julius Randle has turned himself into a, a, a legit all-star. I said earlier, like a month ago, I didn't think it was sustainable, but clearly I was wrong. And um, and he's been balling out of control. He doesn't look like a freight train out of control, which sometimes he would do at Kentucky and LA. But like we were saying, if I said this earlier, Tibbs got to let the kids play. Right. And I think that's why the rating is at a minus two and their defense is good. And sometimes they're sometimes they're up and it's it's the idea of that he's always trying to lean on playing his vets a little too much. So a little bit too much Austin Rivers. If you watch that Clipper game, you know, they make that run. He subs in Austin Rivers and RJ sitting on the bench way too long um, until and, and it's almost too late by the time they get back that that was a game they had a chance to make close down the stretch and then you never know right mm -hmm. um and instead they lost it i think even before rj got back in the game um so to me it's just like let the young kids like figure it out because like again this year to me is about it's literally a, speaking of trend up or stock up or stock down whatever it is this year is about trending in the right direction it's not about 
winning today's game. It's about making sure that we're good for 2022 and 2023 and 2024. And finally building a culture where people aren't going to the team across the borough um, and actually coming to you because you actually finally built a good culture. Yeah. And maybe that um, can happen, especially with Leon Rose being a former agent, having some hands-on experience with players who are in the league. Like you said, you know, maybe the attraction of New York and the whole logo and the whole swagger of the Knicks, it isn't a thing to a lot of people um, outside of New York city, but to your point, I really like, I would really like for this team to, uh, like you said, develop that continuity. And Mitchell Robinson is actually somebody who's actually been pretty good. Seems like he's figured out where to be on a lot of situations. And to me, I feel like he was caught in a lot of kind of, all right, I'm in the spot where I'm, I'm vulnerable, where let's say a guy is a lob threat and the ball handler is uh, by himself as a guy's um, pretty much chasing the screen and trying to, uh, they're trying to gap it or, or, or ice it, excuse me. But to me, I think if they're going to be a team that's going to develop, like you said, they got to let the young guys make mistakes. Maybe it's playing an OB top in situations where you lose a, a four point lead where he's, he's making the wrong rotations. Hey, he's got to learn, you know, that's something that a lot of people lose sight of. So, and you know, that, that, that can make a difference. Speaking of a team, like you said, that's been trusting the process. Um, and they've been in a situation where, yeah, to a fault, they obviously had some bad things in terms of how they did it, but this team that you have here has figured out, okay, um, we can be a legitimate con uh, championship contender. Oh yeah. It's, it's the, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, solely, but surely the, the, the Atlantic, is maybe not better than the Pacific division because the top half seems to be a little bit better, but it, there's no weak team in that, in that division. And this is the strong, this so far, even with the net, uh, the, with the team in Brooklyn, they have still been the strongest so far. And it's because they got an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid and the kind of stuff they've been able to do. They had that crazy, um, end of the game against the Lakers where they almost blew it. And the Lakers almost stole a game they didn't deserve. Um, but the one thing they did is that they, they've kind of figured out an identity, right? Like Tobias Harris has been awakened by playing with Doc again. Um, he looks way more aggressive and assertive. Um, he's kind of replaced Jimmy Butler as that new late game clutch score type who can get his shot over a lot of these wings. Um, and, and they've taken advantage of using guys like Ben, right? And using the fact that you are going to play off of them, so we're going to use them as a screener, right? We're going to have him set screens and give our shooters space um, and we're still going to try to push the pace and, um, and, and move him off the ball because Ben is as good with the ball. He's really good off of it. Right. And, and they've really incorporated a lot of those, those uh, systems into place. And, and doc is really good at getting teams to defend, right. His Boston teams with Tibbs are always good defensive teams. The Clippers teams, he has are always pretty good defensive teams. And this team's no different third in defense. Right. So mm -hmm. um definitely trending up in a hard conference. And, and sometimes you got to win games, even when you, you know, you don't really deserve to win them, but you know, I don't think they, they could beat the Lakers in a seven game series after watching that game, but they're definitely now in the conversation and they've looked like the best team in the East uh, to me all, all season. Yeah. And, and that's, that's solely why I thought 
you know, Philly uh, would be the number one seed in, in the East for me because I think, to your point, you talked about this with Joel Embiid, the accountability of, okay, we fired the coach, we've changed the front office in terms of how we do things. The blame's going to be on your shoulders now. Uh, fully, 100%, you're going to be the, the guy they're going to talk about. And the play of Ben Simmons off ball, like you said, and I think Milwaukee's got to take some notes with this, obviously – to me, I, I think Philly has obvious, uh, some elite three-point shooting in terms of the style that they play. And yeah, you may look at the numbers and say, yeah, they're middle of the pack in some cases. But to your point, having the threat of those shooters, having a, a, a situation where he's setting a, a drag, not drag screen, a double uh, pin, a pin down, excuse me, um, on the weak side. And he's and he's rolling or he's catching, a, he's slipping. He's, he's getting a lob, Ben Simmons. And you know he's a guy that can, as great as of a passer he, as he is, and a lot of people like to, you know, beat up, beat him up in terms of his lack of jump shooting. But to me, if he's going to be a guy that is going to utilize his skills, they, I think Doc's figured it out. You know, you got to let this guy be a threat off the ball. Yeah, he may draw some guys, but you can use him as a, almost like another screener in terms of um, – the, the array of shooters you, you have on your team with Seth Curry, who's been a great playmaker um, in terms of that ball screen action with Joel Embiid. You know, Danny Green is Danny Green. Um, he's going to have his nights, but defensively, you know, we're going to get something out of him. And I think to, to me, this team matches well with anybody, but do you think that they have, I don't know how to phrase this, but do you think they're the team in the, maybe outside of LA or maybe, sorry, the Lakers in this case, do you think that they match up well in terms of having a flawless, okay, we have an answer for if you go small or if you go big? Do you think they have the best setup? Um, I, I mean, they can do things that other people can't do, which is like they can play Ben at the five if, if MB goes to the bench, right? I, they were kind of an addition by subtraction team. Horford really just didn't fit um any of what they did um because he just you it's so hard to play off of him because with Horford it's 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 kind of a pass into the post and then play off of him you know cut back door he'll set you up he's a good screener but you already had Ben do that for you Ben was doing those same exact things except he could push the pace right so then and he could also defend he could switch he allows you to switch he can guard one through four sometimes five depending on who they play they got Joel when he's locked in is probably is the best big man in the NBA, not named Anthony Davis. Like I, and right now he's been better than Anthony Davis. And the only guy you could say is even who's in the conversation with Ben, uh, with Joel this year has been uh, the, the Joker. Right. So, um, so they're able to do a lot more and, and you know, Doc's not afraid to go with those lineups. My only thing with Doc and you, we, we watch it with the Clippers series is, Sometimes he gets attached to lineups um, and is afraid to throw in some stuff. So I have a question back to you is if you were Philly, do you feel like you need to make a move in order to get in there? Or do you stand pat with what you have? I mean, it wouldn't hurt to explore and see what you can get. Maybe to your point a backup five where, Maybe it's a guy like a Derek Favors type in terms of you have another roller or you have a, a, a or a guy who can uh, 
kind of space the floor, not Al Horford per se, obviously that fit didn't work out, but having another big man maybe to combat, combat the, you know, we've got Ben at the five, but he's handling the ball. How are we going to space the floor? But to me, I'm a little, little, uh, con- not confused. I'm a little worried about that because I don't know if maybe they kind of go with the Clippers and say, okay, we're going to, trade somebody that we actually need like a Mo Harkless that's a maybe another guy type of guy they could go after because I think if you can play that small ball lineup and not go with situations where you have Embiid and drop coverage constantly getting abused by uh pull-up threes in a situation maybe it's a Jason Tatum or or somebody like that killing you um I mean it wouldn't hurt yeah, I was just – because I was trying to think, like, if, if if you're Philly, you're an opponent on Philly, where are you attacking, right? You're you're playing – you're spacing off of Ben, right? And you're and you're hoping that Danny Green goes Danny Green and has his one for ten way too many times. And then you hope that Doc rides that a little bit too long. Um, but they kind of counterbalance it by adding Seth, right? They have guys who can create, and Seth's got the – kind of game where you know he what's underrated about him is that if you chase him he can create for himself right and and that's what a shooter needs somebody can come with space up to three-point line i actually think the move for them would be jj reddick yeah that's that you know it's crazy yeah to think about too. circle i think it's somebody like a, a just a guy shooting off the bench or another backup point guard but you know they've gotten a lot of production from their rookie guards and their point guards as well so um, everything's hitting um, for them right now, and they're definitely trending up. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, and I, I would definitely say uh, as somebody, I I don't know how I didn't think about it because I, mean, I was actually going to segue. Right, we're trying to run a segue game right now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, who do you have in terms of uh, team that's trending? You said they're trending. You said neither up or okay, down. They're just trending. Our pre-show meeting, we couldn't decide whether this team was trending up or trending down, and so I'm just going to say they're trending. They're just like this. Um, the trend line is literally like a straight line is the Brooklyn Nets, right? Like, you know, everyone's, if you've listened to any sports podcast, talk about them or any sports news, they are since the hardened trade, you know, you're going to hear this stat of the day. They are number one in offensive rating, which would be the best offensive rating of all time. They're also dead last in defensive rating, which is good enough to be the worst defensive team of all time. Um, they gave up 48 points in one quarter. Um, they gave up 41 to uh, uh, half to zombie Russell Westbrook. They gave up 149 points in a regulation game, um, which is numbers you wouldn't hear from like maybe the Paul Westfall, um, you know, Loyola Marymount or Denver Nuggets, just like we're not even going to try to play defense um, <laughs> type of type of team. So, the, the thing with them, and you could ask their defense, because I think their offense, and, I, and I'm going to give you what I think my answer is, but I would, what would you do if you're Coach Nash or if you're Sean Marks? Take the micro on the floor, and if you're Sean Marks, what would you do off, off of it? Um, on the floor, I think – one, they can't be playing DeAndre Jordan so far back in drop coverage. Um, I know he's not DeAndre of the Clippers, but he's got to be more engaged on those uh, situations. And I think 
a lot of situations they get they get cut off on a lot of the screens. You know, guys like KD, um, he seems like they, they they die on screens, and you see this around the league sometimes. And if you're gonna implement that defense, you got to be able to uh, make life miserable for the guy going around the screen because either he's got to bump you, especially with a guy like KD that can give him an advantage to stay attached with that length. Um, Kyrie Irving has shown at times that okay, when he's actually locked in that he can be a bit of a pest. Well, it may depend on who's with him, but I think to me, if I'm Sean Marks in this case, in terms of taking things off the floor, I need to look at getting a five who's a defensively oriented and maybe even adding another kind of tweener, uh, especially with Jeff Green and when they go small, I think, I don't know, it's just not enough for me. I think they really need to address some things on the floor and obviously in the front office. Well, I mean, the, the on the floor, like to, so like to, to answer like the on the floor stuff, to me, simple stuff, like when you're playing a switch, switchable offense, uh, defense like that is, is figuring out the, the, when to switch, right? Like they got guys like uh, Jacques Vaughn on the bench and, um, you know, who's been, who's considered a defensive minded coach, supposed to be their defensive coordinator type. And they, they have a lot of plays where their best lineup their best lineup is, is, is their starting lineup, right? Jeff Green, Kevin Durant, um, Joe Harris, Kyrie Irving, and James, James Harden, which is those three names is just ridiculous. Like, and what they're able to do is what they haven't been able to do is figure out when to switch and when to not. Cause even the game they won, they still gave up over 120 points and they still had Paul George have probably his worst game of the season. The one thing I will say to on the court that is there been their solution is what they've been doing when they win, which is we just need to play defense for like four minutes. <laughs> like, you know, and that's really what they've been doing. They were like, can we get stops? If we can string together three and four stops, you are not going to have the offense to match us. Because if you look at their stats, they are number one, Harden. I'm talking about their stars. Durant, Harden, and Kyrie are the three are the top three scores in their clutch. It's like 8.6, 8.4, 8.3. So they're not even far off from each other. And Joe Harris can hit everything. So on the court, the adjustment is can we get enough stops? Right. And I and I think the fix strategically is is for is Kyrie finally engaging on screeners and not allowing himself to be screened. Right. And I do think they need to start figuring out ways to not tax Kevin on the weak side. He should be a Rover who's swallowing up everything at the rim, but he should not be your primary rim protector. And I don't know where the fix comes from with the personnel that they have. Right. And so that's why I was kind of asked. I wanted to talk about them as like a whole team, right? Because this is why I, I find them so fascinating just because you can't stop those guys one-on-one, <laughs> right? Like Kevin, we talked about this off mic. Kevin, KD, I keep calling him Kevin like we're like we're boys, like we're Bati and Bench. But like KD went, had went like five possessions without touching the ball. And he was 11 of 13, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's just like, I need to be who I am for three possessions where you can't guard me. Um, so, and 
but I don't think their answer is also a steady diet of it's Kyrie, Kyrie, Kyrie. I think yesterday was against the Clippers because Reggie Jackson, <laughs> your boy <laughs> Reggie, yo. Um, but to me, I think, like you said, and even with Kevin too, they got to figure out in terms of their minutes. I know he's looked great, um, but he can't be playing 40 minutes a game. Achilles injury, a guy, yeah, he's in his at least prime, you would say, in terms of his age. He's about 32 years old. But um, I don't know if I would really say, okay, we got to play Kevin uh, 40 minutes a game. I think if, to me, what they got to do, what they have been doing, but I think I would like to see more of it, is having James run that second unit. And especially with guys like KD and Kevin, you have – you buy them time. And you also, like you said, you know, Harden's going to show up for games. You you know, all the strip club jokes and all that nonsense, we can say that. But if you look at his track record, that guy has been one of the most durable players in the league. And in order to combat the lack of defense, I think, to your point, they just got to find a way to have more defensive-oriented guys. Because, like you said, if a guy is going to have the IQ to, okay, I can hold off this cutter a bit longer – because that's going to buy Kevin time to, or KD time to roll, uh, or sorry, to be the tag guy if the backdoor lob or whatever the case is. Because you, like you saw in Golden State, yeah, yes, they had Draymond, but I think they need that type of mentality or in, ter- in terms of who they bring in. Like maybe it's a PJ Tucker, you know, a bio candidate or whatever the case is. They got to address that. I think they got to address it. And I think they're going to be buyout guys for sure. Like the buyout market is where they'll get their guys. Um, the problem is anything they're going to have to trade will hurt them because who's the guy you want on that team. You probably want Joe Harris. Yeah. Right. You know, like, cause you know, those three are untradeable. You, you really want TLC. You know what I'm saying? Like they're solid, but you don't really want them. Joe Harris is the guy you want. Now you've lost the guy who provides so much spacing um, I do agree with them that the solution on the court, which I think is more fascinating off the court, is Harden being the guy who carries that second unit because we know that he can be an offense onto himself. Um, Kyrie being the offense to himself usually usually is if Kyrie's cooking, great. But if he's not cooking, other guys aren't getting the ball and other guys aren't getting shots. Um, Harden will at least has the playmaking ability first in assists. He's nearly two assists higher than Russi uh, right now. So he'll find people. Um, and he settled into the playmaking role, but, and, and I, I do think they need to figure out a more switchable, um, and smart lineup that communicates way better. Uh, because even last night, like they came down to like Paul George's couldn't get couldn't get any rhythm going in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't think you can depend on that. But again, I think that's the business philosophy. Is like, can we get enough? Can we string together three stops? Because if we can string together three stops, we know you can't stop us three times in a row. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah. I definitely say that Brooklyn is a team that you know, with all we're, that we're saying. They're definitely going to be the talk of the the whole town, the whole country, the whole world in terms of the amount of firepower that they have. But like you said, it remains to be seen whether they can string together a good enough stretch where, yeah, we're in maybe not a top 10 defense, but we're 15th, we're 16th. And they're not Houston like last year where they're they're giving up size. They got guys who can, you know, two or, or two or three of the most 
potent scores in their era in terms of that back half of the 2000s with or and early 2010s with Kyrie and James but you know that's that, that that's a potent yeah, trio yeah and then you it's to me too like you can't really attack them the same way you would attack that Houston team which is like we'll just be bigger than you mm-hmm. I do want to see them play the Lakers because I want to see what happens when they got to do with Andy Davis because I feel like Jeff Green is going to be in a lot of trouble um for that game and Andre Jordan like good luck um but again the the fascinating thing with them is like how do you figure out ways to string together stops are you a trapping team are you a switching team because the problem is DeAndre Jordan is a rim protector who's going to drop coverage and every other guy on that team is really not you know what I'm saying like so you can see him getting frustrated because he's holding his end of the responsibility and the other guys aren't. And they're not good at making those closeouts. Joe Harris is a solid defender. He's a really good defender for a three-point shooting type. Um, but in general, yeah, that's pretty much it. So to me, they're going to be at the top of the league, near the top, um, no matter what, how they get there. And, and more importantly, I think with the defensive rating stuff that we talked about, the one caveat I'm going to say is, Maybe it's not the defensive rating as a team, but maybe it's the defensive rating of your best five players. What do those guys do? What's your best defensive lineup? What's your lineup that will take apart a team? And right now they don't have an elite one. They have a blah one. So if they can get it too good, good luck. Yeah, for sure. And obviously we had a lot to talk about in terms of who's trending up, who's trending down and who's just trending period. Uh, Let us know who you're buying um, in terms of what's going on going to make this a weekly thing. Hope you guys enjoyed this, uh, you know, this talk. Hope you guys are investing into some good stock. Take care, people. Peace. Thank you for taking your time to listen to Daniel's Den of Hoops. And yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at Daniel's Den Hoops. Facebook, we're also available at Daniel's Den of Hoops. And we're available on various platforms in terms of where you get your podcasts. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Take care.